It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more. You hear me say that all the time. Spend less and avoid getting ripped off. Straight ahead, I'm going to tell you how much easier it's getting for you to save more. Coming up in a little while, how about having a six-foot-long register receipt? It's today's Clark Rage. Wait till you hear about it. For three items, by the way. And ever wait on hold forever trying to reach customer no service? Well, wait till you hear the newest techniques companies are using to try to decide they want to treat you like dirt. You heard me right. They want to treat you like dirt. I got great news for you. For the first time in forever, at least half a decade, no longer, you're going to be able to contribute more money to Roth IRAs. Roth IRA contribution limit has been $5,500 for most of this decade, and now it's going to $6,000. Now, if you're not saving anything in a Roth IRA, you're like, what do I care that I can put an extra $500 in a Roth IRA? Well, the thing is, for many people, a huge percent of us have no retirement plan on offer from where we work. And what we can put in a Roth IRA, and you can do a traditional IRA the same amount, but very few people should be looking at traditionals. Most people should only be looking at Roth IRAs where you put in after-tax dollars. That additional $500 that if you're putting in the max of $5,500 each year, being able to raise it to $6,000, that 500 additional compounded over the decades becomes serious additional money providing a cushion for you in retirement. Also makes it a lot easier mathematically that starting in January, you can set up to do $500 automatically every month going into a Roth IRA, and you know you're going to get that full 6000 in to that Roth IRA. And one thing I've been able to tell from so many phone calls I've had from people about Roth IRAs is that in couples where one stays home and the other works, that people overwhelmingly don't know that you don't have to have a job uh, that you're earning money from. Because if you're working at home, you have kids, you're working, but you are eligible to do a Roth IRA as the non-working spouse and you're allowed to put in up to the same amount of money as the working spouse, the spousal IRA up to six grand. So it's a shame that roughly half of us have no access to workplace retirement plans, but for those of us that do not have that access, being able to put more money into Roth IRAs is a great change. Now, if you were to talk to people at any of the fund houses, they're likely not up to date on this yet because, again, it doesn't go into effect till next year. And this will apply to a tiny fraction of 1% of people. The limit 
has been raised for 401ks as well. Almost nobody is in a position where they contribute the full 18500 each year to a 401k, but starting next year, that increases to 19000 as well. And if you are somebody that that applies to, oh, I love that you're saving so much money. Randy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Randy. How are you doing, Clark? Good to talk to you. Well, great to have you here, Randy. How can I be of service to you? Well, I've got some commercial property, and I've got a fairly large emergency fund uh, sitting in our local bank. And I was just wondering if I if I was using my money the best I could. Um, it's some that I may need, um, but I'd like to I'd like to make a little more return on it. Yeah, so if you have idle cash sitting in a bank, you're earning basically nothing on it. I saw that the the average savings rate at the average bricks and mortar bank in the United States is less than one tenth of one percent. Oh, it's terrible. And so with the online banks, the highest now is about two point three percent and we're headed towards two point five. But right now, a lot of them are uh, right around 2%. And it's going to be really easy for you to continually earn more money. The Federal Reserve odds are very strong. They're going to raise interest rates again before this year is out. I expected that savings rates would be near 3% by the end of the year, but it looks like they'll be more like 2.5% with the highest rates offered at the online banks. Mm-hmm. So all you've got to worry about, you're not going to do a checking account with an online bank. You're just going to do savings. Is that right? Uh, I probably will do a checking in case I in case I would need to draw some out of there. All right. So here's the thing with the online banks. It's great if you want to do checking with one of them. Uh, many of them do checking accounts, but even if you didn't want to change your checking account, you can link the online savings account to your checking account and move the money typically on two days notice oh, okay. to move into your checking account. And these accounts, usually you can't move money willy-nilly out of them. If you hit too many transactions in a month or quarter, you may get hit with penalty fees. So you don't use it where it's, it's money moving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth but you use it where you have your idle cash sitting, earning better than 2%. Well, that would be much better. Right now, we have a money market account, and then we do a transfer into our operating account, and that's what we write our checks out of. And what are they paying you right now on the money market? Is it uh, one quarter of 1% at the bank? Yeah, something like that. My you- statement, when it comes out, it says 000. Oh man! But but they're paying me about five hundred and some dollars a month, almost six hundred. So if you go to one of the online banks, you'll probably see a a quite rise in that. Now, if you're earning that level of interest at a big bank, you're going to earn much more with an online. But you don't want to put more than a quarter million in any online bank. Okay. And you can see their lists put out that update every day of what the best rates are at the online banks. And Bankrate does the one that people go to the most. 
There's also one, GoBankingRates.com. You can look at both of them and see who's got the best deal at the moment. Okay. Okay. I was worried about safety uh, with the online bank. So as long as they're FDIC insured and you keep your balance below quarter million, savings accounts, there's really not much that can go wrong in a savings account. Okay. So FDIC insured is what you're looking for, and you're looking for the best rate you can get, which look at least somewhere around 2%. Okay. Okay. Go grab the money. All right. Thank you very much, Clark. Sure. Best to you. And if you do have the good problem of having more than a quarter million, open more than one account, one online bank for some of the money, another online bank for another. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, John. How can I be of service today? Well, Clark, I have an interesting story, I think. Um has to do with a refund on a travel booking website. But kind of a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, we were supposed to fly to New York. I arranged a trip for um, a bunch of my relatives, brother, wife, sons, and everybody, in-laws in New York City. And I arranged four nights of hotel, excuse me, three nights of hotel rooms for four different rooms. So a total of 12 hotel rooms. And we were um, supposed to fly out on September 15th. Of course, that's the day that Hurricane Florence uh, hit North Carolina. So we scrambled last minute. We drove all the way to New York. No big deal. And on the way, it, I got No big deal. The, now, see, you are one of the people who rolls with the punches. You were going to go hard. from an hour and 15-minute flight to suddenly you're in the vehicle nine hours? Well, Clark, I pictured my mom stranded at the LaGuardia Airport, like wondering where her son is. So that's what went through my head. So my brother and I were like, we're going, we're just driving, let's go. So <laughs> that's why I pictured in my head and I couldn't deal with that. So that's that's how we went to that decision. <laughs> but so I, I drove like seven or eight hours. We got to rural Pennsylvania. I started getting a little tired. So my brother took over. And I was honestly just Googling just to kind of goof around past time. And I happened to just look at my exact hotel room and I'd forgot about this price match, but I looked up my, the exact hotel room at the exact hotel and it was like $140 a night cheaper. And I had 12 nights, right? So I called the online agency, the agency that I made the reservation through and it took them about half an hour and there was a lot of transferring of phone calls. But at the end they said, no problem. Mr. Suez will give you a refund for the difference. And they actually, about two weeks later, I got a credit on my credit card for $1,600. No way. No way. Yeah, I was shocked. So the price match guarantee actually happened. Nobody ever asked for it. Nobody ever goes back and checks. You did that, and, and uh, who else earns $1,600 in 30 minutes? Well, I guess lawyers can bill that much, but none of the rest of us. Yeah, I was. It was my brother did it because he took over driving for me. So, wow. So in this case, uh, you know, I I'm just going to have you name the hotel booking site because that's such a great story you just told. Sure, it was Booking.com, the parent company of Priceline. Oh, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have this thing where. 
you know, so many of the hotel booking sites say, we guarantee the lowest price and all that, but they actually meant their guarantee. Yeah, it was great. I was very excited. So in the midst of all the havoc of you having to deal with hurricanes and all that and getting all the family together, you were cool-headed enough to save 1600 bucks. I guess I was, yes. <laughs> and how was your property back in North Carolina? Did you have any damage from the hurricane, or were you okay? No, nah, we're closer to Charlotte, so no problems whatsoever. All right. Well, good for you. And uh, thanks, thanks for sharing that story. That is such a great thing you brought up. You know, a lot of credit cards have done away with their price match system on things you find later cheaper. But the hotel sites are still all in on that, knowing that most people will never shop again. On the subject of travel, one other thing I wanted to mention, folks, John, is most people, when they book a trip that involves a rental car, book the rental car at the time they book their air flight. But if you reshop your rental car the week before you go, you'll find almost always you'll cut the cost of your rental car by half or more by reshopping just before the date you're going to pick up that car rental. Today's Clark Rageous moment is just one of those things, really, seriously. I brought it up in our pre-show meeting, and it created the most animated discussion. It involves CVS and their register receipts. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So there's a woman who's been all the rage on social media who purchased three items at CVS and ended up with a six-foot-long <laughs> register receipt. Her name is Emma, and so she posts it on uh, on social media, and suddenly people are just all over it, and other people are commenting about theirs. And my wife sent me to CVS to get some items for her, and I it also happened to be three items. And my register receipt was only three feet long. I felt so cheated that Emma got a six-foot one and I got a three-foot one. And that's what led to the conversation and about the fact that CVS is what's known as a high-low retailer. Do you know that terminology? You know what it means in retail? High-low. Uh, Kroger is an example of that in groceries. That the regular prices are really, really high, but they're both very promotional. Both Kroger, the nation's second largest supermarket chain, and CVS, the nation's largest drugstore chain, that their everyday pricing on things is very expensive, but their sales bring prices back down to earth, and then the register receipts at CVS are all about deals that they're offering to try to get you in on another visit. So it's not that CVS specifically is trying to destroy entire forests every single business day. It's all about driving traffic back into the store, and instead of throwing those receipts away, look at them because there may be some savings with them that's worth having. There's got to be a better way, though, than six-foot receipts. 
Joel, I think we can sneak in and ask Clark. Yeah, Clark. David wrote in. He said, how difficult is it to obtain a visa for a trip to China? And should I pay the $400 for the tour company to obtain it for us? So visas are something that in a country that requires them, they can be very expensive. It's not at all unusual anymore for visa fees to be in the range of 150 or so dollars for just the visa itself. But for a lot of countries, it actually makes sense to pay one of the visa processing services so that you can get the visa. For countries that are more open, more democratic, and don't have a lot of restrictions on visitors, doing it yourself probably will be just fine. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. I've been talking for years about profitability index scores. Profitability index scores are something that companies have on you and me. Even mid-sized companies may employ this technology now, where they decide if you have a problem with something, even if it's their fault, if they're going to do anything for you, based on your profitability index score. And so there are all kinds of consultants and data crunching companies that companies will contract with that generate the customer profitability index, the score, so that they know, ooh, this is somebody who we make a lot of money from. Let's take care of them. Even if they messed up, let's take care of them. And then if you got a low score, Forget about it, even no matter if it's even a small request, you can go soak your head. Well, now I have just become knowledgeable about the next level of this, and it's what's known as your CLV, that companies are transitioning from a simple profitability index score to a CLV, which stands for Customer Lifetime Value. And so a company will contract with a firm that determines what your overall story of your life, nothing to do with that company, that airline, that retailer, whatever, that you come to them as a customer with pre-existing stuff like how much education you have, what zip code you live in, how old you are, male or female, any of a number of things about you having nothing to do with your shopping patterns and they will decide to treat you like dirt or treat you well based on a combination mishmash of what was in the profitability index score and what they develop about you for CLV, customer lifetime value. Dow Jones gives some examples of who gets crushed by this and young men without a college education are considered to have a very low CLV even if they've been a good customer somewhere. If you have a problem they're not interested in helping you. On the other hand, a woman who lives in the suburbs, who's in her 30s, who's got a college degree, suddenly has a huge booster 
for her CLV and how she'll be treated. So the companies have been able to take demographic data, location data, educational levels, and supposedly, they believe, they've been able to figure out how valuable you are going to be over the years, over the decades. And you can sense this with various companies you do business with when you're hearing that recording, when they tell you how much they value you as you're listening to the bad off-key music waiting forever to talk to somebody, it means that you have a bad score. They're either just terrible at customer no service or they're discriminating against you because of your bad score. Or if you call somewhere and they answer right away and you're talking to a human and not one of those systems that say, press six for this, press eight for that, and a human actually answers the phone, it means your CLV or profitability index score is extremely high. If you are being just treated horribly by a company and they've messed up, what do you do then? What pressure point can you apply if their internal system says you don't count? Well, what you do, depending on what kind of company, if it's a financial company and you're having a problem you can't resolve, file a complaint with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Then it blows way past whatever your secret score is with that organization. If you're having a problem, customer service with a non-financial company, one thing that works is to file a complaint at BBB.org. Gets you into a whole different level with a company and problems you haven't been able to get resolved, you have a much greater likelihood of getting resolved. But in my mind, the best companies are those that don't give messages to their employees that some people count as customers and others don't because that creates a culture that says there's no emphasis on providing good service day in and day out. And it's my belief that the best companies, and this is empirically proven, the, the companies that do the best over time are the companies that treat their employees beautifully, treat their employees like gold, and have an unmistakable message to their employees that the company is all about treating customers well, without then having the asterisk, treat these customers well, these others, let them sit and spin. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Jordan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, sir? Great, thank you. You got an open enrollment question for me. Indeed, regarding HSA accounts and uh, using them as an investment tool. Uh, I just wanted to let you know I do consider this a privilege and a pleasure. Started thank listening you. to you as a, as a kid, took some years off after being burnt out listening to uh, you with my mom's radio when I was a child, but now I'm back on the bandwagon. I've been listening to your podcast regularly. Well, thank you. You know, I really think it is child abuse that kids are forced <laughs> in the car to have to listen to me. Well, it's, it's definitely good uh, good for my where I'm at now. Um, well, I have well, a question. Glad for I know that. in the past, I'm sorry, in the past you've, um, you, you've spoken about using HSA accounts as a tool for retirement, but I haven't heard you mention it lately. Do you still advise on investing in HSAs after maxing out contributions to an IRA? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you can put money into an HSA and not use the money for current medical bills and let that money grow tax-free over the years, it is an enormous value later in life because what happens when people hit retirement, they underestimate heavily how much they're going to have to come out of pocket for medical. So in retirement, you don't want to have to use the money you've saved for non-medical for medical. If you have the HSA, you get generally you get a tax benefit up front, and then you get tax-free growth over the years, and then the money is spent tax-free if used for eligible medical expenses. So it is superior to a Roth. It's superior to a 529 for a kid's college. An HSA done right is in its own special category of greatness for your wallet. Okay, so then when you do retire, you, you do just isolate those funds for medical expenses. Yeah, and, and so as somebody, let's say somebody lives, if somebody makes it to their mid-60s, actuarially they're likely to live on average somewhere into their 80s and as you get into the later parts of life that's when medical ends up eating up a larger and larger chunk of what you need to live on and so having the hsa money there is fantastic as a way to defray those medical costs with it kind of parallel tracks the roth with money that grows tax-free over the years and spent tax-free. The only reason the HSA is superior, as I mentioned, is you often get the upfront tax benefit in addition to the money growing tax-free. Okay, and um, I know there are certain companies that do invest and not all HSA companies offer the investment. Is that correct? Yeah, so if you can choose where you put your HSA money, the best plans are ones that allow you to put your HSA money into low-cost index funds from uh, Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, where you're putting money in ultra-low-cost funds so that the money can grow tax-free over the years. And if you're a long way from retirement like you are, doesn't really matter what the ups and downs are with the stock market over the decades. You're playing a long game, and having the lowest cost funds in that HSA growing over the decades is what makes it work so well for you. And I'm so impressed that you are saving so much money everywhere you turn. Good for you. Gene is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? Good. Hi, Clark. It's so wonderful to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. And uh, you and your landlord are making a deal that you're hoping is going to be a sweetheart deal for you. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my husband and I live in Brooklyn, New York, um, and we've been considering buying an apartment in the area because we just love it. Um, we've been in our apartment for eight years, and our landlord actually asked us if we might be interested in buying our apartment. Um, which we would definitely be interested in doing. But I wanted to see if you had any advice on, you know, kind of how to approach this process, um, especially as, you know, first-time homebuyers. So it's a great situation for the landlord because the landlord already knows you as a known quantity, knows that you're a reliable couple. 
and the landlord doesn't have to go through the whole process of having you move out, have a vacant unit with no income, and trying to figure out how in the world to price it and get it sold. For you, you end up having lived here, you said, eight years? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you you know the neighborhood, you know the place, you know you'd be happy there. It's a true win-win. But how are the how are you going to come up with the price for the property that you'll be happy with and the landlord will be happy with? Yeah, and so I think that's the that's a tricky uh, the tricky part. So in the actual apartment building, there's a really similar unit uh, that did go on the market and sold for a, a really high cost. Um, there were a couple differences between our apartment and the other in terms of remodeling. Uh, the apartment that sold was a little bit more modern than ours. Um, but I guess, you know, that's kind of the question. Like, do we find sort of a neutral party to come in and, you know, give an inspection? And That's the book answer. That's the book okay. answer, but I'm going to suggest something else. And it's going to require some work from you and your husband. Mm-hmm. But I want you to uh, go around the neighborhoods in Brooklyn that interest you. And go to see properties that would be equivalent size to what you're in now and see what kind of prices are being asked for those. Okay. Because right now all you have, you've got a comparison pool of two units, yours and the other one in the building that's not even exactly equivalent. Right. And so uh, burning up some shoe leather going around and seeing other uh, properties that are available in Brooklyn in neighborhoods that you desire, that's what's going to give you a sense of what it's worth to you to pay for this unit you've been renting all these years. Until you compare, you have no frame of reference what truly would be a fair price for this property. That makes sense. Um do you just curious? Do you have any suggestions for how to approach sort of different attributes of apartments? Like, um, for example, ours is a two-bedroom, two-bathroom. We'll see other listings with maybe one bathroom, but some outdoor space. Sure. I mean, it's all this. You're moving into an area since you've lived eight years in in the neighborhood you're in. You're moving into an area where part of it's subjective. You know, as you go out and about, you're, you and your husband may say, you know what, we've loved living there, but this place is so much better. Look at this view we've got from up here or whatever. So you, you just need to spend that time out there and, and discover if where you've been is the best nest or if somewhere else would actually be better and what price is it worth it to you to make a deal with the landlord to buy the place you've been occupying. Until you do that comparison shopping, you won't have that feel. And normally, I would talk about the value of having an inspector and all that, but you've been in this property eight years. You you should have a sense by this point what is troublesome in it, what works well, what doesn't. And uh, you could have an inspection if you wished, but this is, a, this is an apartment. There's not a whole lot for the inspector to be able to find for you right right so, yeah no we 
We definitely know it inside and out. <laughs> so the time looking at places that you don't know inside and out is going to be the key to you getting to that price point and feeling right in the decision you make. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Donald is with us, and Donald, congratulations are in order for you. What have you just accomplished? Well, we've reached a point, my wife and I have reached a point in our life where we're retired. Over the years, we've had credit cards for um, jewelry store, for instance, and several department stores, and just have reached a point our children are grown where we don't need them anymore. And we've had an experience experiences in the past where not using the cards and letting the companies basically shut them down has affected our credit in a negative way. And I was wondering how you actually shut these cards down. I mean, if you don't need them anymore, don't really want them. Sure. Prior to them shutting them down. And All right. So let me tell you, there's no difference in the effect on your credit if you close a store account or the store closes it on you. It's the same effect on your credit. I'm curious, though, how many major credit cards do the two of you have? Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. Visa, MasterCard, um, actually a couple of Visas. But and then, as I say, department stores and jewelry store in particular, the ones we were... Sure. So the reason I ask that is that store credit is generally considered to be junk credit in the marketplace. As long as you've got uh, at least two major credit cards from different issuers, uh-huh. then if you want to close some of those store accounts, you can. Or you can just let them linger because they have no major negative or positive consequence on you. Okay, and because that, that was the issue. I mean, it wasn't... We we're going to keep the Visa and MasterCard. And yeah, the major like the major cards are what are, what count. And if you wanted to close a lot of store accounts and maybe get one more major credit card, so you have three of those, just so you're sure you're good in retirement, that would be an alternative. But the store cards, I hate those things. But it's fine just to let them linger there. If you really want to, you can close them. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.